Chapter Seven of Yankee at Molokai by Eva K. Betts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Seven. Brother Joseph does war work. For the next few days, it was evident that Brother Joseph had something on his mind. When the flag was hoisted in the morning, his eyes followed it even more lovingly as it went up to float in the breeze. At night, when it was lowered, he took his usual care to see that it did not touch the ground, but when he folded it to bring it indoors, it seemed as if he hugged it to his heart. At odd moments he took out to read again a clipping ragged and split from folding and refolding. It was the report of an address given by Cardinal Gibbons. "'You live in a republic,' it said in part, "'where there is liberty without license and authority without despotism, and where several rulers hold over you the shield of protection.' without interfering in the God-given rights of conscience. In view of the signal blessings you enjoy, it is your duty to take an active, personal, vital interest in the welfare of your country. The inspired word of God enjoins this loyalty to your country in reverence to its fealty. The religion you profess demands this fealty. Your duty to take an active, personal, vital interest in the welfare of your country, murmured Joseph as he folded up the clipping and put it away. I was active once when I fought in the army to preserve the Union. Now I will fight again. What his body's need for rest could not accomplish, his country's need could. He was preparing to leave the island. I want to help organize quickly, he explained. A few hundred of the veterans, my old comrades at arms, who would be willing, as I am, to close their days in this way. I will ask President Wilson to rush us to the front as a body of independent sharpshooters. We would have no drill, no examination, and of course no pay, and would wear our old Union blue uniform. We would not be of much use in the progress of the war, but the example to the young men would be of very great value. With all the tact possible, it was pointed out that a group of men, all over seventy, might be a hindrance in battle. But there were other, many other ways in which he could serve. It was a breath-stopping disappointment for Brother Joseph. He had planned never to leave the island, but, after much soul-searching, had decided to make the sacrifice. And his sacrifice was not wanted. He didn't feel old, and, truth to tell, he didn't act it. With humility he swallowed his hurt and looked about for the other things it had been suggested that he could do to be of service. Most of his possessions had been given away over the years, but among the few things he had kept was a good pair of binoculars. He at once packaged them and shipped them off to Washington. To his delight, he had a note from Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Franklin D. Roosevelt, saying that the glasses were in use on a battleship. He felt that he now had a small part in the conflict. But there must be much, much more that he could do. The newspapers carried stories of Liberty Bond drives and Red Cross rallies. Citizens were urged to buy and buy, to give and give. In the thirty years he had been on Malachi, Brother Joseph had given away about $10,000, which had been sent to him from admirers in all parts of the world. He now owned, and had for some time past, just $1,000, which was in the bank in Honolulu. Each year before Christmas, he drew out the interest on the money and bought little Christmas cards and remembrances. Now he closed the account to buy Liberty Bonds. But there must be more that he could do. He looked about him. He looked over his treasures. Here was a sprig from a plant on his mother's grave. There were letters from the G.A.R. and other friends of his earlier days. 
not the sort of things, surely, to be of use to a nation at war. He talked to the lepers about his country and its needs. It was now their country, too, a land they had known and loved long before they became part of it. From the incandescence of Brother Joseph's enthusiasm, they took fire. We couldn't buy liberty bonds. But there are war savings stamps for sale. They cost a quarter. Who has a quarter? All the boys sorrowfully shook their heads. No one had so much. But could you earn one? suggested Brother Joseph. The sad eyes lighted up, and the boys started chattering like parakeets among themselves. Plans were made, considered, rejected. Ideas were suggested and discarded. But they blazed with the determination. Somehow, somewhere, they would earn quarters. Like a grass fire in drought, enthusiasm swept through the settlement. They, the lepers of Molokai, were going to help the United States win the war. It was amazing how many different kinds of jobs were discovered, and how many services they could turn into cash. And when a pitiful gift of money was received from the family at home, it was converted not into candy or tobacco, but into stamps. Rivalry in amassing the bits of paper was keen and intense. Inspired by the situation he himself had brought about, Brother Joseph began bombarding his friends in the States with letters. My beloved lepers had bought five hundred dollars worth of war saving stamps. He would write, Have you done as well? We now have a thousand dollars worth of stamps. What have you bought? Earned in agony and bought in love, each stamp added to the mounting total increased Brother Joseph's pride in his people and his feelings that he must urge other people to do more. He sold many thousand dollars worth of bonds, but he counted that as nothing. His heart, however, did swell with justifiable pride when he saw his army of the lame, the halt, and the blind loyally and eagerly fighting for their country here on their island in the South Seas. The nighttime stories now had to do with the war. As the papers came, he read them carefully in order to be able to report battle progress in the evening. Letters from home sometimes carried news of the enlistment of the grandson of some G.A.R. or childhood friend. To the boys clustered on the ground around him, these reports had the immediacy of news about a member of the family. During the desperate, bloody months of late 1917 and early 1918, the lepers became more and more convinced of the need for giving to the Red Cross. They did not want to cut down on their help to arming their fighting men, but they did want to give more to those who were helping the wounded and the battle-weary. The only answer seemed to be in finding more jobs within their capabilities, and to work harder, faster, longer. It was rarely, now, that Brother Joseph got more than an hour or two of sleep at night. With an old wooden peg, a rubber band wrapped around it so his tired fingers might more easily hold it, he would sit near his flickering candle, writing, My lepers have given $3,000 to the Red Cross, and have bought $2,000 worth of war-saving stamps. They feel they can do much more, and are not stopping. I hope you, too, are continuing to do all you can. My boys deny themselves to give. Do you give as generously? It would not be possible to record the amount the Red Cross received through Brother Joseph's tireless efforts. When the war was over, the lepers had invested the almost unbelievable amount of $3,000 in war-saving stamps. To the Red Cross, they had given $6,000. The value of their lesson in selfless generosity could not be computed. The ending of the war also brought to an end the drive for the sale of Liberty Bonds and the emergency needs of the Red Cross. But that did not mean that Brother Dozen's life became any more leisurely. The salute given him by the Navy in 1908 and his tremendous war efforts 
had brought him to the interested attention of even more people all over the world. Heavy as his mail had always been, it now became staggering. Each time the boat came, it brought a good wheelbarrow load of mail for his attention. A third room had been added to his little house, and in it, for the first time, he had a bed. Until then, he had slept on a narrow board fastened to the wall a few feet from the floor. But the addition of a bedroom to the house meant little, because he was rarely in it. One of the letters which arrived in the days after the war brought him particular pleasure. The city of Memphis had always been dear to him, because it was there he had first found Catholicity. He had many close friends there, and many warm memories of it. When the G.A.R. began sending a flag each year, he had more than he needed, and just before the outbreak of the war he had sent one to St. Peter's Church in Memphis, the church in which he had been baptized. The source of the gift was known to the parishioners, and frequently, during the war, when people stopped in to pray for the soldiers and sailors represented by the blue and gold stars in the service flag, they stopped before the great crucifix which stood near the communion rail. From the right arm of the cross hung the stars and stripes, the flag which had come from Molokai, representing another man who had served God and country. Now, wrote his friends, the flag had been demobilized. The Hawaiian boys, with their love of pomp and colorful ceremony, listened wide-eyed as Brother Joseph read the account it carried. The solemn patriotic ceremonies were carried out under the direction of two Dominican priests who had served as chaplains during the war. "'What are chaplains, Brother Joseph?' asked one of the smallest boys. With a smile, Brother Joseph explained briefly what a chaplain was. "'Are they all Dominicans?' Brother Joseph explained that they were not all Catholics, that each religion had chaplains who served men of their own flock. Then how? A chorus of protest from the other boys squatched the inquisitive one. Don't ask so many questions. You talk too much. Let Brother Joseph go on reading. There were representatives of national and state and city governments there, Brother Joseph continued. Then, since he saw another question coming, he explained that phrase. Men from the Army and Navy and Marines and the Air Force all came in their uniforms, and so many people from the city came that the church was packed full, and five hundred people had to stand outside because there was no room for them to go in. He paused to turn the page of the letter. The small boy who wanted details asked, What is an Air Force, Brother Joseph? There was a stir among the other boys. Fearing the bodily violence might be done, Brother Joseph quickly made a suggestion. Suppose you save your questions until I finish, and then ask them all at once. Answering them will make another story for you. But I might forget what they are. You won't, said Brother Joseph hastily and firmly. Then he resumed reading. After solemn vespers, the altar boys and the choir and the whole congregation joined in singing the Star-Spangled Banner. Everyone saluted the flag, and then uniformed army, navy, and marine officers lowered the flag, folded it, and carried it to the sacristy, where it was carefully put away. There was silence among the boys for an instant, and then a deep sigh. They had lived through the ceremony, seen the great church and the people, seen the candles and flowers on the altar, and had been moved by it. "'Our flag,' said one lad. "'It was our flag which hung there, and is now put away. "'We helped the soldiers and sailors, too, didn't we, Brother Joseph?' "'Brother Joseph, what is an Air Force?' asked the smallest boy. "'You have seen pictures of airplanes in the magazines?' 
Well, the soldiers who fly them are the Air Force. Why do they fly in them during a war? The smallest boy puzzled. They use them for fighting. They carry guns and shoot each other up in the air? This was beyond the smallest boy's comprehension. My father told me that when he was a boy, some young men climbed to the top of the poly and strapped big leaves from the luaha tree to their arms. Then they tried to fly like the birds, but they fell down. They killed only themselves. Why do these men kill each other? Because they are enemies, silly, and enemies are bad, broke in an older boy. Our men are not bad. The smallest boy was indignant. Of course not, silly. But they are enemies to the other men, and you said enemies are bad. Brother Joseph was not happy about the way the conversation was going. The deep waters of ethics lay ahead, and he knew that they would be beyond his small flock. He was deeply grateful for the sound of the bell which called the boys to bed. For how could he explain war and passions of war when he was not quite clear about it himself? How explain men able to fly like birds and using the new ability to burn and kill? His desk with a mass of mail to be answered, the accounts to check, the complaints and reports to consider, looked very welcome to him that night. End of chapter 7